Hi, my name's Evan. I use he, him pronouns. Hi, I'm Ian. I use they, them pronouns. And this is If the Shoe Fits. This is a podcast where we look at Cinderella stories through the eras, from the more mundane to the more bizarre. We're going to dissect each and every single one. We're not doing every one. We're We're doing every single one. We're we're doing the good ones, and the weird ones, and the interesting ones. (laughs) So every single one. (laughs) Every single one. So we thought it would make sense for the first episode to talk about the two most famous origin points for the Cinderella story. There have been Cinderella stories uh, going back into antiquity for a very long time, but I think the two sort of classic fairy tale crystallizations of the Cinderella story are the Charles Perrault French Cinderella story and the German Grimm Brothers fairy tale Cinderella story. I'm sure listeners probably are wondering why we decided to do this. (laughs) Oh, well, I'll tell you what it really was. The reason that we started thinking about this is that I saw... Ever After, which is the Drew Barrymore movie. Mm-hmm. And then within the within a week of that, also watched the movie Ella Enchanted, which is also an adaptation of the Cinderella story. Right. And we started talking about collecting all the fabulous actresses who have portrayed the stepmother. <laughs> there have been so many. And I was like, what what better way to talk about the actors who have played the stepmother than through the medium of a podcast where we but can rank before, them. But even before that. Now, this is not a stepmother podcast. That's no, not what we're doing. No, it's not. But even before that, let's be honest with ourselves. This also just started out of our love for Kate Blanchett. Yes, yes. Who was in the 2015 live action remake, right? As the yes, stepmother, which she... I have not seen still. We need to get you to see it. Well, it's certainly on the list. Exactly this on the list. is a Kate Blanchett positive podcast. Kate <laughs> Blanchett haters beware. <laughs> there will be no Kate Blanchett hate here. In fact, I think we should put all stepmothers in the Kate Blanchett Hall of Fame. So we wouldn't even rank her if we were going to rank stepmothers. You'd just say, there's Kate Blanchett and then there's the rest and let's rank the rest. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, there's always Kate Blanchett and the rest, but we'll rank Kate Blanchett for the purpose of this podcast. But just know, I am biased. <laughs> Towards Kate Blanchett. Of course. And who isn't? Although I gotta say, a lot of good actresses have played this role. I mean... Many, many I mean, actresses. Angelica Houston, Bernadette Peters. Joanna Lumley. Joanna Lumley. So many. <laughs> End of list. We can't think of any more. <laughs> That's it. Well, and there's also so many uh, new versions of Cinderella coming out, too. I mean, already this year we have two coming out. That's an interesting point. I think one of the reasons that this is interesting is that this story more than a lot of other fairy tales even, has really captured the public imagination to the point that it is infinitely remixable and infinitely retellable. Because I think there's something in, in this story that we all can latch on to. Oh, totally. We'll get into that later in the podcast about how every good story is a Cinderella story, I think. <laughs> but let's start with our basis. Let's start at the very beginning. I hear it's a very good place to start. Well, the very beginning is thousands of years ago in Egypt, but let's start in France (laughs) in the 1690s when Charles Perrault released his version of the Cinderella story. Charles Perrault's Cinderella story starts out in a way that we might expect. We understand that Cinderella is a good girl and that she had loving parents. She took after her mother who died and that her father remarried to a terrible woman who in the Charles Perrault version was hiding her terribleness until after the wedding and then became a tyrant and ruled the household and brought along with her into this marriage two stepsisters to Cinderella. They make her do all the chores and she can't complain to her poor father because the stepmother rules the house. The father in Cinderella stories is interesting because he's kind of useless in the narrative. A lot of 
Cinderella stories get rid of him completely. So he's, say, he's dead, or he's away on business, or whatever it is. I was gonna because, say, I think we should have a father counter. <laughs> well, right. Is, is because the father in the story or not? <laughs> every Cinderella story has to deal with this question of why doesn't the father do anything to stop her from being so mistreated? So she does all the house chores, and then at the end of the day, she goes and sits by the fire. You know, she gets covered in cinders and soot. And they call her Cinder Wench. But the younger of the two stepsisters, who is kinder than the other stepsister, calls her Cinderella. So a lot of adaptations also deal with having a kinder stepsister. I think we'll see that a couple times in the future as well. Get ready. We're going to have so many counters. <laughs> We're not formalizing any of this. This is, this is a low effort podcast. You may not be formalizing this, but I'm going to formalize it all. I'm looking forward to the spreadsheet you're going to make. I, there will be a very vast spreadsheet. I'm so ready for this. I, I want to see this spreadsheet. So one of the things that, that stood out to me in the Charles Perrault version is that Cinderella kind of accepts her place and she's very obedient. This sort of plays out like what happens to her later is her award for for suffering through this. As you probably know from Cinderella stories, there comes news that the prince is having a ball, he's going to pick a wife, and the stepsisters are going to go to the ball. Cinderella helps them get ready, she helps them do their hair, they express that she can't go because she looks too poor, too slovenly, that kind of thing, and then she you know, bids them farewell, and it isn't until they are out of sight that she breaks down. And then right. the Peralt version has this incredible sentence. He writes, Her godmother, who saw her in all tears, asked her what was the matter. So this is the first mention that Cinderella has a godmother. Does she live in the house? We don't know. <laughs> Two lines later, it says, This godmother of hers, who was a fairy, said to her. And so she's, I guess she's magic, but it's, it's the first we hear of it. <laughs> so the godmother says, I, you know, I will contrive a way to get you to this ball. Go get me a pumpkin. Cinderella, again, being very obedient, goes and gets the pumpkin. The godmother scoops out the innards and then taps it and turns it into a carriage. I think if you were going to turn it into a carriage, I feel like you could turn anything into a carriage if it's just magic. I don't think you need to scoop out the innards. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love the idea that if she hadn't done it, this carriage would be full of pumpkin innards. Well, that's going to be interesting, especially in one specific adaptation. I'm, I'm not going to spoil which adaptation. Well, it's funny because the way it's described in the Peralt, I think he just means to say that there is suddenly a, a carriage. But a lot of productions play with this idea of the carriage being kind of pumpkin-y. Mm-hmm. And then she goes around uh, the house and has Cinderella release uh, three or six mice from a trap who become the horses. They find a rat to become the driver. They find lizards in the back garden to become footmen uh, chasing around behind the carriage. I don't know why they need them either. And she gives her a beautiful dress, of course. Mm -hmm. And when she gets to the ball, everyone thinks that she is a princess. Literally. Of course. And she dances with the prince, who is very taken with her. And even though they serve a meal, he doesn't eat any. And uh, Cinderella, for her part, doesn't spend all night with the prince. The prince gives her, you know, some small favors, some gifts, oranges and that kind of thing. Huh. Uh, and she, like, shares them with the, her stepmother and stepsister. And they don't, they have no idea who she is. I was going to say, do they recognize they her? They do not recognize her. So, And she, you know, the clock chimes 1145. She's like, all right, I got to get out of here. The step, the godmother had told her that it would only last till midnight. So she races home. You know, she pretends to be tired when the stepsisters arrive and asks, you know, sort of leading questions. She mm-hmm. even comes up with this very clever ruse 
when she hears about the beautiful princess who uh, took everyone's attention, she says to one of her sisters, oh, I, I would so love to meet this princess. Can I go in your, in your yellow dress? You always wear your plain yellow dress. And the sister's like, no, of course you can't go. Hmm. And Cinderella's like, yes, I hoped you'd say that because hmm. um, I couldn't have anyway. Right. Oh, another thing I want to mention while we're talking about this is that when she arrives at the ball that first night in the magnificent dress, everything stops. And I feel like a lot of Cinderella stories have this moment where whoever Cinderella is makes a grand appearance and like we see that she cleans up nice for the first time. Mm. So the next night, there's a second ball. She goes back to the ball in an even more magnificent dress, but she's so caught up in flirting with the prince and so on that she doesn't notice that it's already almost midnight and when the clock is chiming is chiming midnight she thinks it's chiming 11 until she hears the final chime she runs and she gets out just in time but she loses the shoe so she loses the shoe on the second night Mm. she's fleed from the palace she races home and in due time like several days later the prince mounts a search for who has the foot that matches the shoe uh, she also has the other shoe. All of her other clothes turned back, mm-hmm. the carriage turned back and so on. But the the shoe, because it, because it was without its mate, stayed a glass slipper. So she still has it. Mm. And eventually they come to her house. You know, the sisters try as they might, but they can't fit the shoe. The prince isn't there, but there's an attendant with the shoe. The prince is busy, I guess. Mm. And he, he sees that she, that Cinderella is handsome is what it says and asks if she can try on the shoe. And it, it, uh, it says it fits like wax. And, and not only does it fit like wax, but she produces the other shoe. And then there's this incredible uh, moment. The godmother walks in. I guess she was also there. And also, like, transforms the clothes she's wearing back into the magnificent dress. So that everyone can see that this is, this is the same beautiful woman who was, who was there. And she goes and marries the prince. And she invites the stepsisters to come and live at the palace with her. And she, she even finds them, like, noblemen to marry. Well, that's nice and they all and they all live happily ever after. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that nice of her? I know there are some versions where that does not happen. Oh, just wait. <laughs> oh, just wait. Yeah, yeah. The stepmother's never mentioned again. I maybe she moves into the palace as well. I also love that it's not not an issue at all that everyone thought she was a princess and she's not a princess. She's just a random lady. Hmm. Yeah. She's just a lady. She's just a lady. <laughs> Well, that was whimsical and light and Isn't that fun. whimsical and light? You could base a lot of stories on that. Right. Well, I'm here to tell you that the Grimm version is nothing like that. <laughs> when did the Grimm version, how much later was it than the Pearl uh, version? We're here, at, we're here in the 19th century. The first original version came out in 1812. However, in 1819, it was in their second collection of Grimm's fairy tales and had a little coda at the end. They added on to it, as you do over time. It's uh, originally called Aschenputtel. I believe that's how you pronounce it. I'm not German, so I, I cannot pronounce it correctly. Uh, and that translates to Ash Fool. Oh, Ash Fool. Yeah, Ash Fool. What an Ash Fool. Right. Right. So the Grimm version, already starting out on a really, really happy, happy note. We're starting out with the plague. Oh, um, which, <laughs> which one? Any plague, really. It's just a plague. A plague is infesting the village and a gentleman's wife is on her deathbed and she calls for her only daughter and, you know, tell her, hey, remain good, be a good person and God will protect you. And then she dies. The kid visits her mom's grave every single day, like every day and every day to grieve that her dad marries a a new 
person, a stepmother who has two stepsisters. Okay. Um, who has two daughters. And so now the little girl has two stepsisters. Uh, they are, of course, bad people because, of course, they are. So the stepsisters steal all the girl's nice clothes and jewelry and her room. And so now she sleeps by the kitchen, by the fireplace and that's where she gets her name ash fool she's forced to do all the work in the house you know all the all the good stuff that happens but but despite all that she does remain good and kind and she always goes to her mother's grave to cry and sort of pray and wish for a better life better circumstances for herself i I like the implication that she like specifically sets aside time to go and cry Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah, there's, she always gets her work done, but she always has a moment where she's like, okay, I got all my work done. I'm going to go cry. That's mental health, baby. Yeah, that's, me- that's me- <laughs> Cinderella, the original mental health story. Mm-hmm. Now, here's another thing that's different from the, par- because we talk about the, the dad. So the dad is also in the Grimm's version. However, unlike other versions where he's seen as kind and caring of his daughter, this guy don't give a fuck. Like, he does not care at all in fact he actually joins in with the mistreatment of cinderella Mm -hmm. even so making fun of her when uh, he goes to town and while her stepsisters ask for you know like nice things she's like can i just have a stick for what well so she gets the stick Uh uh-huh and she takes it to her mother's grave and she plants it and so her tears that she cries every single time are watering this stick and it grows into a beautiful tree. That's not how trees work. Well, <laughs> sorry, fairy tale, yes. <laughs> and every time she prays also in that tree a white bird comes to visit her and and throws down things that she wishes for. And this happens all of her life. So if she wants something, all she has to do is go to the tree, pray for it, and the white bird will throw it down. So Meanwhile, the king is going to throw a festival for his son to find a wife. You know, that good old chestnut. So the sisters are invited. Technically, so is Cinderella. But remember, Cinderella is goodly and kindly. So you know what that also means? She's beautiful. Hmm. And so the stepmother is like, well, you ain't coming because you ain't going to get in the way of my daughters. <laughs> so, And even the father agrees, which is Really terrible. Really, really terrible. So in order to have Cinderella, you know, kind of distracted so she doesn't think about it, she's like, here, there, I'm going to, here are all these lentils in the fire. Pick all of these out. And if you pick all of them out, you get to come to, come to the festival with us. And so now remember that white bird? Mm-hmm. So Cinderella also has animal powers, apparently. Oh. Because... Uh, a bunch she, when she sings or like she calls on birds, they come down and they pick out the lentils for her to make it go faster. I'd say that's more than making it go faster. Oh, for sure. But the stepmother ain't having it, so she puts more lentils into the fire. <laughs> and hey, if you're listening, if you ever are in a pickle, talk to a bird. Maybe it'll help you. So Cinderella obviously, you know, gets everything done in time. But while the lentils are being picked the last time, because the stepmother does this three times that she throws more lentils into the fire. Wow, and it, like lentils were free back then. Right, and in the last time, the stepmother is like, all right, get your things, we're going. Going where? Going to the going to the festival. So oh, they, with Cinderella? No. No, no, no. Yeah, they leave Cinderella there, abandon her, and Cinderella's like crying, so she goes to the tree, 
she goes to her mother's grave in the tree and she's like, I really want to go to this party. You know, I really I've spent all day picking up lentils. Right. You know, I, I really wish to go. And down from this tree comes a beautiful gold dress and silver slippers. Well, actually golden slippers. Okay. They are golden in this version. Mm-hmm. And so Cinderella goes to the festival. There is no pumpkin. Nothing. She no just care. walks. She is walking there. <laughs> In her nice slippers. So her, her nice slippers are covered in mud. In her, in her beautiful the... gown and nice slippers. And the prince is smitten by her. Mm-hmm. So smitten, in fact, that like he's not paying attention to any other girl there. Like, as soon as Cinderella walks in. But Cinderella sees that her stepmother, father, and stepsisters are leaving. So she's like, oops, gotta go. So she runs out. Now the oh, prince, there's, no, there's no midnight Yeah, there, there's no midnight motif in this. Mm-hmm. It's just whenever she sees, like, the stepsister, the stepmother and the stepsisters are about to leave or she feels like it's too late, she's like, all right, I gotta go. Like, bye. Prince chases her even after leaving the palace. First night, she hides in a chicken coop. The chicken coop that belongs to the father and the stepmother and all them, to, like, her family. And so the prince commands her father to cut down the chicken coop. But, of course... Cinderella is very, very clever. She's very clever in this one because she hides behind the chicken coop and then makes a run for it and disappears behind it, like disappears from it just in time. The second night, you know... Wait, using the other entrance to the chicken coop or yeah, something? Yeah, using a different, another entrance. How does entrance. Cinderella fit into a chicken coop in a nice dress? How big is the hole into this chicken coop? It must be a large chicken coop. I mean, no, like, do they have problems with foxes eating their chickens with a hole that big? I'm sure they do. And what what kind of chicken coop is, like, luxurious enough to have a back door? <laughs> this one, apparently. This is, like, a condo. <laughs> it's a penthouse chicken coop. Right. Yes. So that's night one. Night two, same thing. Stepmother and stepsisters leave. Cinderella goes to the tree, wishes to go. She gets another dress and even fancier shoes. Even more fancier than the, the night before. She goes. Prince is smitten. Same thing happens. She runs away. When she needs to. Prince follows her. This time, Cinderella climbs a pear tree. Okay. She's resourceful. <laughs> right. The prince is like, uh-uh-uh. Hey, yo, daddy-o, cut down this tree. Yo, daddy-o? Yeah, Cinderella's father. Oh. Right. Okay. Cut down this tree. I thought he was, like, from West Side Story. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> from West Side Story. Because he was using 60s slang. <laughs> Yeah, now this is West Side Story. And of course, Cinderella being Cinderella in this version, she's resourceful. So she is able to get out of the tree in time before anyone could, before she's found out. She's like Houdini. People are like, we're going to watch this tree. We're going to make sure nobody gets out. And then she's like, she like walks up like, hey, what's happening here? Like She really is. Her father's slightly suspicious that it's her, but like can't prove it. So he's like, oh, whatever. Third night though, the prince is like, uh-uh, we ain't doing this again. So she comes... Again, dressed in an even fancier gown, even more extravagant golden slippers. And as she's running away and running down the stairs, the prince has laid pitch on the stairs. Which is like tar. Yeah, it's basically tar. So she's stuck. She's stuck on the stairs. So she takes her foot, leaves one of the shoes there, is able to get her other foot unstuck, but she has the shoe and she runs away and runs back home. But now the prince has the other shoe. So, just like the Perrault, the prince goes on a search to find her. They come to Cinderella's house. Her stepmother and stepsisters, you know, obviously, for some reason, you know, they can't fit. Cinderella must have, like, the tiniest foot in the world. Mm -hmm. Because nobody else can fit her shoe. 
naturally, obviously. The stepmother cuts off one of the toes, a couple of the toes of one of the stepsisters, being like, you're not, when you're a queen, you're not going to need these. You're fine. The shoe fits the stepsister. The prince is like, I found you. So the prince gets gets the stepsister on the horse and starts right off. Happily ever after the end. Well, no, because <laughs> then one of the, a bird, a white bird comes down and whispers into the prince's ear, hey, there's blood in that shoe. You might want to look in that shoe. Is this where the expression a little birdie told me comes from? It might be. It honestly might be. <laughs> and so the prince looks down, sees the blood, is disgusting, and be like, you ain't it. We're going back. But the stepmother, you know, she's like, oh, I'm going to stay ahead of this. So other daughter, come here. We're getting rid of the sole of your foot. Because that, when I cut that off, that's not going to produce blood, right? No. I mean, it was the 1800s. Maybe they didn't know. Yeah, they didn't know what blood was. <laughs> um, and so that happens. The shoe fits on the other stepsister. Prince is like, great, you're, you're, you're the one. And then the bird comes back again and be like, hey, yo, dumbass. <laughs> There's still blood in that shoe. There's even more blood now. That shoe is literally filling up with blood. And he's disgusted again. He goes back. And he's like, Are, do you have any other daughters? And of course, Cinderella is there. And everybody's like, oh, no, she couldn't have been there. She's just a little ash girl. You know, it can't be her. Even the dad, even the dad is like, no, it can't be her. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not her. But the prince is like, no, no, I want to I want to see her. So she cleans up her face. She cleans up. She cleans herself up and all that stuff. And then she comes in. She tries on the shoe. It fits. And the prince looks up and recognizes her as the girl. Oh, my God. Took him long enough. Right. So this prince. So this is the stupidest prince by far. I bet we'll see that a lot. Probably. In adaptations of this story. So she, he finally finds his princess. Uh, fun fact. In this version, the stepmother and the stepsisters are just about to kill Cinderella for being able to fit into the shoe. But luckily... The prince stops them. Wait, were they going to kill her in front of the prince? Yeah, they were. They were going to kill in front of the prince. That's not very cunning. So the prince puts her on, puts her on his horse and they ride off. And that's the original end. It just ends there. In the 1819 edition, the second edition, with the coda was added that at her royal wedding, the stepsisters had hoped to like warm themselves up to the queen, to like the future queen. So they come and they're nice to her. But... Cinderella ain't having it. Uh, So as she's walking down the aisle uh, with her stepsisters as her bridesmaids, funnily enough, she summons all the birds again to fly down and peck her stepsister's eyes out. (laughs) She summons them? Yeah, she summons them. She's like, suddenly on this, the day of my wedding, I have a (laughs) bloodlust and I need you to do something for me. Yep. So the stepsisters now don't have eyes and now all of them, including her father, are succumb to being beggars for the rest of their lives. Wow. And that's how the story ends. So moral of the story, be kind to your little stepsister because she may become queen and then peck your eyes out and make you beggars. That is, that's a lesson that I think we can all apply to our lives. It's so much darker. That's a lot darker. Compa- comparatively. To, to the original Peralt version. It's interesting because I think both versions emphasize Cinderella's goodness mm-hmm. and her kindness. Mm-hmm. And then in the, in the uh, Brothers Grimm version, at one point she says, I've had enough of being kind. Well, I, I think too, like she's, the, this is one of those stories where, because like I said, there, there is the added 
the addition of religion in this, in this version, as opposed to the Peral version, it seems. How so? Uh, because literally the, the, the mother is like, pray to God, pray, mm. pray, you know, and if you pray and you are a good person, you will get good things in life. Yeah. So there's obviously an allegory between praying and being a good person. You get all these great things. And if you're a bad person, you get your eyes pecked out <laughs> by birds. Well, one of the things I love about the Grimm Brothers version is we have this like very f- classic fairy tale rule of threes thing going on mm-hmm. with the three knights at the ball. And I love that she goes on these three adventures every night that like some mishap happens. And it's crazy to me that I've never seen an adaptation of Cinderella that really truly deals with like her getting into wild adventures, trying not to get caught and running mm. up and down pear trees and in and out of hen houses. I think that's really fun. How is there not a, a version of the Cinderella story that deals with, with her avoiding being caught like that? I think that's... I don't, I don't think a lot of writers know about that part of the story or don't do the research yeah. because it's such a story that has been passed down for so long that they feel like they don't need to. Well, yeah. Well, and the thing is, if you'd... If you'd asked me to tell you the story of Cinderella from memory, I'd be able to tell you a version of that I think is pretty clear. And I, I sort of wonder now, because neither version, neither of the versions we talked about today, are the version that I'm thinking of. So now I'm wondering if the version that I think of as the Cinderella story is like the Disney version. So I think we'll have to watch the Disney Cinderella and see if maybe that's the one that codified what us in our generation thinks of as the Cinderella story. I mean, I'm I'm going to say this now. I think ev- everybody goes down the Perot version because of the fairy godmother, because of the magic. Mm-hmm. Well, that. yeah. Um, yeah, except there are, for... There are, there are definitely exceptions, of course. I think the biggest exception is the musical Into the Woods. Well, yes. Which we'll also have to talk about at some point. We, we will need to talk about Into the Woods. But I, I think because of the magic and because, comparatively speaking, like, you you heard me describe the grim version. It's very grim. It's very grim, very violent, and very dark. And I think, especially now, we think of fairy tales as these light, uh, child friendly stories. A, a lot of them are originally moral tales of what not to do, and how to be a good person in this world. And like I think now we view fairy tales as just stories of whimsy and magic, and not what some of them were originally to be told. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I do, in all honesty, prefer the Perrault version. Yeah, I think I do too. Um, that's just, that's just m- me. Um, but I appreciate the Grimm version for being so out there. <laughs> I gotta say, there's some the parts of the Grimm version that I really like, though. I mean, the, the connection to her mother being a force in her life, I think, is really strong. Mm-hmm. I like that that's sort of where the fairy godmother kind of magic comes into the story. Mm-hmm. I said before I liked the capers, the caper aspect of, of her having these like <laughs> kind of like silent movie-esque close calls. I think that's really fun. And of course, revenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is also going to come down the line as as we talk about more versions. But a big thing that people are not a big fan of Cinderella about is a lot of people think of Cinderella as somebody who just waits around and wishes and doesn't actually like work for her things. And I think if you want an example of a Cinderella that does do the work and does make stuff happen, I think if people are looking for a more feminist version of the Cinderella story, the Grimm Brothers is right there. I doubt that's going to be the most feminist. Well, it's not the most feminist. <laughs> I, Obviously, it's not the most feminist. Yeah. But if you're looking for something to to create a more feminist version, because I think a lot of problems 
that a lot of other adaptations of Cinderella have is that they're trying to do that. Oh, give her more agency. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think there's some success to be had there. And there's some success to be had there, but I think if they read the original Grimm version, they would see that. Mm-hmm. It's already there. Okay, so let's talk about what makes a good Cinderella story. Okay. What the classic elements are, mm-hmm. right? So I think, number one, a person who is, like, kind and obliging. Yes. Number two, family that is difficult. Mm-hmm. So that's fair, difficult family. Yeah. And then, let's say, a chance to meet royalty or, or a chance to have a good time, maybe. I think, like, a party. A party of some sort. A party of some sort. A party of some sort. A party of some sort and... Not being able to go, and mm. then overcoming not being able to go, mm-hmm. and also being the prettiest and the most special and the best right. at the party. Right. Getting the attention of some sort of romantic interest, mm-hmm. and proving yourself to your family. Mm-hmm. Right? It's kind of a redemption story. I think, I think it's, a, it's a rags to riches story. It's a redemption story. Mm-hmm. There, of course, is a reason that this person has to leave. Oh, part. right. There's also, right, there's the fear of being discovered to be... A poor person or not mm. the person that people at the party think you are. I wouldn't go that far. I, I just think she's dressed up, most beautiful person ever. And then at some point, she has to leave. Oh, like, like I'm just making up a version now, but like, it could be a version where her parents are going to come home and she has to rush home so they think she didn't go to the party or yeah. whatever. And it isn't even about her, like, being discovered. Because I think some Cinderella stories are like mistaken identity stories like she becomes some other persona at the party mm. but i think i think ultimately it's a it's a rags to riches right mm. she's in a better position at the ending than she was at the beginning mm. and then it's a it's a redemption story like like these people treat her terribly the whole right. story then she turns around and says you know you were wrong and i'm actually magnificent and how dare you be so cruel to me and i think that's an important part of I it i mean i don't think every version actually gets that moment no, but I, I think her being able to marry the prince is that moment, mm. right? Like, I, I think that, that maybe this is the way we talk about that story today, that we in the audience get to say, she showed them. Mm-hmm. She showed them that they were wrong about her, even if, the, even if the stepsisters or whomever don't get it. I think you can see that, but I also think of somebody getting out of a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and I, I suppose there are some stories where the family members don't ever get it, right? Mm. Yeah, I think that is the case. Um, and more specific details after, you know, this big chase. Sometimes she she's going to lose something. No, this is this is sort of us describing describing like the broadest strokes what the story is, but there mm. are some like specifics that I think really make it a Cinderella story. Mm. I, I like, think I think her leaving and losing something makes a Cinderella story. Oh, leaving something behind. Because then it goes into a search. Well, no, I don't think so because and we'll we'll get into it when we talk about it, but in the in Ever After Mm-hmm. She doesn't lose anything. 
We'll talk about it when we get there. I, I, have, I have an argument for that. But I guess she loses the wing. <laughs> when we get there. Oh, she does lose the shoe, doesn't she? Right, right. Oh, you said Ever After. I thought you said Ella Enchanted. The but thing, I can also argue for Ella Enchanted as well. I think the thing to note here is that there are... You can have overarching ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Like like any story about people who whose families disapprove of them getting together is kind of a Romeo and Juliet story. Mm-hmm. But if you also put somebody on a balcony for while somebody else is below them for a scene, then you're really underlining that it's a Romeo and Juliet story. Right. And I think with a Cinderella story, you can have a rags to riches redemption story. Mm-hmm. But if you emphatically point to a pair of shoes and have a very godmother kind of figure. I think those are some of the key things that make you go, oh, this is specifically a Cinderella story mm-hmm. and not just a, a local girl makes good story. Right. No, because to me, it sounded like before that you were just saying like the rags to riches story is the Cinderella story. And that's not always no, not at the all. case. Cinderella is just a version of a rags to riches story. Yeah. There, there are many version. There are many different rags to riches stories. But I think that's one of the things that we find compelling about Cinderella. Is, oh, for sure. Is that we see this. We sort of are. We're all Cinderella, right? We're all saying I may be poor and not incredibly wealthy. But maybe I could become incredibly wealthy through an odd circumstance. Through TikTok. <laughs> through TikTok? Are you going to meet a prince on TikTok? Well. 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 No, but I'm waiting for that modern version where TikTok is used at some point. It's going oh, to happen. God, don't do this to me. I'm an old man. <laughs> I want to make one with Vine just to really piss people off. Gone too soon. Rest in peace, Vine. Rest in peace, Vine. I'm making, I'm making that a counter as well. We're going to reference Vine every episode. Okay, I love the yeah. idea that we'd be talking about, like, Ella Enchanted. <laughs> and you'd be like, she'd be great on Vine. She would have really been cool with the teens on Vine. <laughs> no, here's what I'll do. I, if, if we talk about, like, the synopsis of every film, I will put a Vine reference in it. In the synopsis of every... Like, a random... Like, Give like, me an example right now um... of you putting a Vine... <laughs> The stepmother, seeing that there were no lentils in the fireplace, said, This bitch empty, yeet, and yeeted more lentils into the fireplace. That's not even... No, no. (laughs) The bitch in question would not be empty because it would be full of lentils. (laughs) No, because it was already empty and then she put more lentils in there. This bitch empty, the fireplace is empty. Yeah, yeah. Yeet, here I am yeeting my lentils. (laughs) Yes. See, I'm telling you, I can fit a vine reference into every everything. Watch me. <laughs> I do not wish for this. <laughs> so when we think about what the markers of a Cinderella story are, I'd say definitely the fairy godmother. Uh, I'd say definitely some kind of exciting footwear mm-hmm. that gets left behind, mm-hmm. right? The single slipper getting left behind. It doesn't behind. even have to be a footwear, just something. I'd say even like having stepsisters and a stepmother. I think those are like the primary thing. It's like, oh. it's like girl with stepsisters who has a fairy godmother and ends up with nice shoes. I think that's a Cinderella story right yeah. there. Ideally, she also finds romance. Mm-hmm. What else do you think is essential to the, to the Cinderella story? Well, I think going to the party, having to leave the party for circumstances, mm-hmm. leaving something there as like a clue or as like, oh, as a way to track her. <laughs> The, uh, the search mm-hmm. and finding her at the end. And what we'll discover is that I think in some of these is that even though she's found, that doesn't mean it's totally the end of the story. So you think that you think that sequence is important? The, the I've left behind something and I'm looking for you and I'm reuniting you with your lost mm-hmm. item. Yeah. Whatever it is. 
Yeah, for sure. Your Tamagotchi or whatever. <laughs> or Beanie Baby. Your Beanie Baby. Uh, I love... I don't know what else it would look like, but the idea of a Cinderella where she shows up to the party with Beanie Babies. I love that so much. I love the idea of the prince throwing like a slumber party. And she shows up ready to call with her Beanie Babies, but then she has to leave. If, if anybody... if No, wait, never mind. Write this down. <laughs> Write this down. This is our idea. Uh, trademark, trademark, trademark. Trademark, trademark, trademark. This is our idea. Don't steal it. If you do, we're suing you. We're calling it Cuddlella. <laughs> Not Cuddlella. It's Cuddlella. Her stepsisters have convinced her that she's uh, too like spiky and bony to be cuddly. <laughs> they taunt her every day. They say, little Cuddlella. They say to mock her. They say, little Cuddlella, no one would want to cuddle you. <laughs> You can't come to the prince's slumber and party. It, instead of a ball gown, she wears a onesie. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. That sounds incredible. We're making this. We're making this. I think we're going to find, as we look at the various adaptations of Cinderella, that none are as good as Cuddlella. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Cuddlella is obviously number one. So if you look at the link in the podcast description, you'll see the Kickstarter for Cuddlella. <laughs> please, please donate. We, we please make donate. This. We we're, make this ma- we're making Cuddlella. So I really want to test the limits of of what we think a Cinderella story can be. So I want to pitch you on a story that you already know. And I'm going to pitch you on why I think it's a Cinderella story. And then you have to tell me both why you think I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, and I'm not. (laughs) You're so confident. Uh, Of course I am. And what would we have to change to make it a true Cinderella story? Okay. So in that spirit, I would like to present to you the tale of Benjamin Barker. The Cinderella of Fleet Street. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'll entertain this. Okay. So for those of you following along at home, this is Act One of the musical Sweetie Todd, written by Stephen Sondheim and Hugh Wheeler. Mm-hmm. Sweetie Todd, the character Sweetie Todd, who, uh, whose true name is Benjamin Barker, is our Cinderella figure. So he starts off, he's uh, desolate, he's literally an escaped convict, he's been put in jail by these two people who want to keep him down, the stepsister figures. In mm-hmm. this case... Judge Turpin and, and the Beatle, those are our stepsister figures. Mm. And they've sent him off to jail to keep him down, to keep him out of society. Mm-hmm. So he's saved by a fairy godmother figure who's Anthony the Sailor, who provides for him. He brings him to to London, to, to where the stepsister figures are. And he, he says he'll help him however he can. Mm. With me so far? Yeah. Now, his prince is Mrs. Lovett. He finds Mrs. Lovett and she is going to help him make his dreams come true. And help him redeem himself so that he can prove himself by getting back at his stepsisters. And then along the way, there's also a stepmother figure in uh, Adolfo Pirelli, a, a person from his past who comes out of the woodwork and tries to tear him down. But he wins over her. And at the end of the act one, he's together with his prince figure, Mrs. Lovett. Mm-hmm. And they may not know it yet, but the stepsisters are in for a rude awakening. In Act 2. That's the Cinderella story that is Sweeney Todd Act 1. I mean, okay, if we're just doing Act 1. Yes, we're just doing Act 1. <laughs> because otherwise we get into like an Into the Woods territory where everything gets very dark. Right. <laughs> very quickly. I won't disagree that Sweeney Todd is a Cinderella story. Oh, I also oh. need to underline real quick that the shoes in this case are, are, the, the, are the razors. Which he did lose <laughs> and which Mrs. Lovett gives back to him. Okay, so here, here are my... Here's how I would do it then. Yes. So I don't disagree with you that Sweetie Todd would be a Cinderella story in that regard. I, I, but here's how Act I, just act one. Yeah, here's how I would change it. 
mm-hmm. I would make the judge the stepmother because the judge is the reasoning causing like of all of Sweeney's problems. He's the brains of the operation. He is. Um, I would, the Beatle and Pirelli could be the stepsisters. Okay. Um, I don't think they ever kind of, oh, they, I guess they do canonically meet briefly. It doesn't matter if, yeah, they, if they've yeah, ever yeah. met. And what, I guess one of them is the nicer one, right? Yeah. One of them's the nicer one. The other I one. guess the Beatles, the nicer one in this case. Yeah, I guess. I would say Lovett is actually the godmother. Tell me more. Because I, I would say in that, as that symbol of the blades being the shoes, her giving Sweeney the shoes or the blades, mm-hmm. that's like the fairy godmother giving her the shoes. Because the blades are like... The shoe blades. Yeah, the shoe blades are the kind of skates. like... Yeah, they're kind of like the... I, I guess like they would they would be a good counterpoint. I, I, I don't think of... Do you, think, you think the blades are more like her getting the... More like her getting the carriage. Like it's the vehicle that's going to take her to yes. her destiny. Yes, 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 yes. So Sweetie Todd's prince then is... Is what? The idea of his great revenge or... I think that and Joanna. Oh, Joanna is Sweeney Todd's prince. And yeah, that, that, that actually makes some sense because he is... That's that's ultimately his goal. That is? Uh, I mean, to get revenge, but also to get his daughter back. Okay, I like that. I don't think Antony really... I mean, here the thing about Sweeney Todd in general is Antony is a nothing character. I don't think Antony has a parallel. If Antony has a parallel, it's... He's the footman. The, yeah, he's one of the footmen. <laughs> he's just like... Uh, he's just a mouse. A carriage driver. So right. is little Toby. Oh, I forgot Toby was in the story. Toby's barely in the story in Act yeah, 1. Yeah, I, I don't think of them as... Same, the beggar woman, she's just there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, but I, I... Which is funny because in, like, a classic fairy tale, the beggar woman would be the fairy godmother, right? Yeah, not this time. Not this one. She's a tragic symbol of what's to come in Sweeney Todd. <laughs> Spoilers for Sweeney Todd Act 2. <laughs> I mean, just as bloody as the grim version, so... If not bloodier. Yeah, very bloody. I would argue the body count in Sweeney Todd is higher than the Grimm. Oh, for sure. Well, I think no one dies in the Grimm, in the Grimm Cinderella. No, no one dies, but you know. Whereas they do kill untold tens of Londoners, at least, if not more. From what we see, tens. From what we probably, see. I can safely say that, yes, you have, that can be a Cinderella. Yes. I will give that to you. Yes. You ha- you got it this time. Point score me. <laughs> Uh, that's your spreadsheet. <laughs> well, that sound of a clock chiming midnight <laughs> means that it's time to wrap up. We'll see you all next time on yes. If the Shoe Fits. Goodbye now. <laughs>